Greetings, this is Austin Bridges welcoming you to the LL Research Podcast in the Now, episode number 72. LL Research is a nonprofit organization dedicated to freely sharing spiritually oriented information and fostering community, and towards this end has two websites the archive website, llresearch.org, and the community website, bringforth.org. During each episode, we respond to questions sent to LL Research from spiritual seekers like you. Our panel consists of Gary Bean, Jim McCarty, and myself, each of us a devoted student of the Law of One. Your questions allow us to explore the Law of One and related matters of metaphysical interest. We hope only to offer a resource that enhances your own seeking process. Please know that our replies are not the final word on these subjects. We ask each who listens to exercise their discernment and be sensitive to their resonance in determining what is true for them. If you would like to submit a question for the show, please do so. Our humble podcast relies on your questions. You may either send an email to contact at llresearch.org or go to www.llresearch.org slash podcast for further instructions. Again, I am Austin and we are embarking on a new episode of LL Research's podcast in the now. Gary and Jim, are you with us and ready to go? Yes, indeed. I am. And I think in the viewer's or the listener's perception, the previous episode would have been our return, but for this, this is our return from a hiatus. Um, There's one on deck that's been waiting to be published for a few weeks, so uh, we might be a little bit rusty. Please forgive (laughs) us if if we seem like we're out of sorts, but uh, for instance, I don't have the question right in front of me. (laughs) Well, the question today, want me to read it? Um, I actually can pull it up right now. Oh, okay. So, our question today comes from our dear friend Lana, who asks, Hey guys, I would appreciate it if you could speak about fasting as it is mentioned in the raw material. If you would fast, how would you prepare yourself mentally and physically? What method would you choose? And other things that you can come up with. And she adds, Thank you so much for doing a great job. I miss you a lot. Thank you, Lana, and we miss you as well. So I guess we can just speak directly to her question first and then move on to some discussion about fasting and related topics. Um, Gary, why don't you start us off? Um, I haven't. Actually, I've I've done some intermittent fasting recently, just um, primarily for its health benefits. And by intermittent, I mean... um, I forget what the minimum amount of time is. Like one goes without food for 12 hours or something and then resumes eating. Uh, But I've read that doing that at least once per day is healthy. That aside, it's been some years since I intentionally attempted to fast. Uh, Early on in my spiritual path, I would do water fast. I think three or so days is my longest. And um, in my experience, in my youthful experience then i got so little out of it except just feeling weak and like my body was eating itself uh however um were i to do it again i would um start with in terms of the mental and spiritual dimension of it I would start with Ra's understanding in 41.21 where they say, This, as all healing techniques, must be used by a conscious being. That is, a being conscious that the ridding of excess and unwanted material from the body complex is the analogy 
to the ridding of mind or spirit of excess or unwanted material. And <clears throat> I would imagine that you guys might have the full quote in your responses, but I'll stop there because I want to focus on the conscious being part. I think the use of fasting is predicated not only on the conscious awareness of what the what is hoped to achieve and that the mind and body rather the mind and spirit are linked to the body not only that but also conscious of one's patterns i presume if you get to the point where you want to use a body discipline like fasting to rid yourself of something you've worked with that pattern for some time you're you're aware of it within you you um have engaged in a long-term process of self-knowing and self-accepting and you've approached yourself with with uh, love acceptance and, and gentleness um, fasting shouldn't be used as a tool of control of the self or dominating the self or or judging one part of the self as rather let me say or condemning one part of the self you, in working with this pattern over a period of time, have just come to the determination that um, it is not serving your highest and best interest. You understand it as best as you can, and so you therefore want to use fasting to rid yourself of this excess-slash-unwanted material. And so how would I do it then? I would, Having worked with that pattern, like I said, with that background, I would set the intention and um, create a structure, create a container to engage this process that would include the logistics, of course, of timing and, um, and what to do in terms of diet. And on that point, as to what to do in terms of diet, whether you do just a water fast or a juice fast or you put nothing into your body or you eat clay for, for the period. Um, <laughs> People our, do that. Yeah, it's Steve, our, our webmaster and our good friend, goes on these clay diets and I <laughs> I think he literally eats bars of clay and it's supposed to be really good. I don't know anything about it. But I would do some reading and I don't think it's important what – the specifics of uh, whether one does water or juice or some other variety. It's rather the emotional and mental significance of the intention that's invested. So I'd choose one form. But on the more important level, I would uh, set the container, which w would include, like I was saying, the logistics of the days and the timing and what I might be doing in my schedule. But I would invest that container with the intention of what I want to achieve with mindfulness, with uh, awareness, with self-reflection. And um, because we are very creative and powerful beings, I might throw in some other accoutrements of ritual into the mix that are symbolic. I don't know. Um, I'm about to wrap up here, but to, to try to be creative which I'm not terribly, uh, say I might, <clears throat> I don't know. I wouldn't, I don't think I'd do this one particularly, but say I could, I might wear white during those days of fasting to symbolize that I'm seeking to purify the self. This is one of an infinite number of examples of ways that you could enhance and reinforce and deepen the process by adding a symbolic gesture 
to the process. But yeah, that's uh, pretty much my basic schematic of how I might go about it. I like the idea of like piling on the symbolic gestures. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could. <laughs> piling on is an interesting way to say it. I guess you could overdo it too. No, I think it would be effective. Jim, how about you? What do you think about Lana's question? Um, I think it's uh, a question that has come up for me a couple of times. And so the way I would respond is to try to do better than I've done before. And that is in the preparation for fasting. I think I would uh, become aware of what it was that needed to have a change, a different aptitude or a different attitude, I guess you'd say, from me. Um, If it's a thought form I need to get rid of, or more likely what I would be doing is attempting to purify myself to move to a, a higher level of, I don't know if understanding is the right word. Every time Ra uses it, they qualify it. They say, shall we say. It's safe to use it in this group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I would like to um, move a little further along the spiritual path in some symbolic way that might actually have uh, um, daily repercussions, um, resonances, effects. So... Once I had determined what it was I wanted to achieve, then I think in meditation, I would see if I could find any deeper levels of meaning or ways of uh, apprehending this quality that I would like to achieve in the meditative state or in the fasting state. And once that had been determined and I knew what it was I wanted to do, then I would set about uh, cordoning off a time period and a place for it. I think along with the fasting, it's important to change your routine so that you're not doing the same things you've been doing while you're fasting. I think we need to give more respect to the uh, quality that we're seeking to either achieve or to remove from our uh, consciousness and do something that is more spiritually oriented, uh, maybe more meditation, uh, maybe go for walks, um, maybe uh, in, engage in some um, slow dance, uh, interpretive, uh, just let the body do some expressing too, as well as the mind. And then, uh, like Gary said, determine what type of fast you want, uh, either uh, juices or water, I think, are probably the two real choices. And... Since I had one experience back years ago, uh, November of uh, 83, where I didn't drink enough water after I'd had a kidney problem, since then when I've tried fasting, I've gone the other direction, created a problem for myself, uh, drank too much water, and meditation is always a part of any fasting <laughs> I do, so I would have to interrupt my meditation and go relieve myself and then come back and meditate some more and drink some more water. So I haven't gotten that balance down yet, just exactly how much water to drink, uh, or if it really matters. But um, So, yeah, I, I would like to change the environment and have the environment also be a, a symbolic portion of the fasting process. So we know that the fasting is a symbol of attempting either to add something positive, remove something negative from our consciousness. So I, I think that it, to carry that symbology a little further would be a good idea to uh, have a certain place for it to occur, probably in your home where you're most comfortable, and uh, do 
special things that are of a spiritual nature, maybe readings of inspirational information or listening to inspirational music, or like I say, doing some sort of uh, body movement that you could interpret as dance or, or just letting the body express itself. Th- think of the quality that you're working with and then uh, try to translate it in, into a body motion or movement. So I think that's uh, the way I would approach it at this point in my life. Uh, how about you, Austin? Um, I like food too much to consider the question. <laughs> That's honest. <laughs> I've never tried fasting before. I do have thoughts and opinions about what I might do if I were to fast, but I've never actually dedicated myself and tried. I have gone on pretty strict calorie restriction diets to lose weight, but it's always been from a negative mindset and not from like a spiritually positive mindset. So um, if I were going to do it in order to, uh, as Ra would hint, purge some sort of toxic thought form or um, reprogram some sort of catalyst, I think going along Gary's line of thinking in that the requires a conscious being, somebody's fully aware of what they are doing. So in preparation for the fast, I think I would take a good amount of time to meditate on exactly what it is I want to do while I'm fasting and really explore the depth of what I'm trying to purge through the fast and make sure that, as Gary was saying, I have an accepting and loving relationship to it. Um, Ra says that once it's gone, it's still understood that it is part of the greater self. So uh, accepting that part that you were attempting to purge into your greater self, I think, is a really important aspect of fasting. Otherwise, it could potentially become a negative sort of thing, um, an expression of unacceptance of a part of yourself. So that's what I would do leading up to it. Um, I think that Jim's talk about incorporating your uh, uh, body, different sorts of body movements or um, changing your daily routine around the fast is really good because I've come to look at, when I'm thinking about the body in a spiritual sense, not just the body itself, but the environment around the body as well. It seems like those are um, very linked and inseparable. So uh, having a new environment or um, I think what would be really effective is also purging your environment, really cleansing Mm -hmm. your environment as you are fasting so that there's sort of a, a cleanse both in your outer environment and in your body. could be really, really effective. Um, and then Gary brought up like a nutritional aspect, and I don't have a lot of nutritional information, but I uh, did a lot of um, reading about nutrition on the internet. I did a deep dive and uh, came up with some um, tips for fasting. Uh, and one of them is the What's going to help you lose weight is basically just the calorie restrictions. And losing weight, it seems like, um, losing the body mass is the analogy, the analog that Ra's talking about in purging toxic thought forms. So you want to hopefully find a way to keep your other nutrients, the ones that don't have calories. Um, And I think that a green uh, sort of, what do they call them, like superfood, 
powders. Um, that would be really good to do that. You just sort of mix that in some water or some juice if you want to. But juice has a really high sugar content and could spike your blood sugar, which I think would cause energy problems when you're fasting. And then the other thing is while it does have calories, I th read that um, one of the biggest dangers while fasting is um, the damage it can do due to a lack of fat. Apparently, our brains need fat to function. And so some sort of fat capsule like um, fish oil pills, or I'm pretty sure there are vegan alternatives for that. Um, to do that while you're fasting will help uh, protect against a lot of dangers, uh, the physical dangers of actual fasting. So that's pretty much all I have for this initial question on fasting. Any more thoughts from you guys before we uh, explore a little deeper? No, not for me. Yeah, before we move on, one quick point, and that's that um, Ra also uses the adverb carefully in association with fasting um, elsewhere in the book. And uh, Austin, you raise a good point about why that is, because there are physical dangers to fasting. I mean, you're just from a layman's general point of view, you're starving the body. So one must be careful on a physiological level. And um, I think also carefully is connected just to explore this just a, a teeny bit more to the conscious being aspect part because um, one is not, like Austin has said, he's approached weight loss from a negative mindset. Um, fasting is not a tool that is effective or intended to be used, at least as Rod describes it, uh, by one who is on a crusade against the self or one who is setting out to conquer the self. Actually, in fact, I could see that being useful to the negative polarity in that regard. But for those of the positive path, um, it is for maximum potency should be undertaken with a uh, love towards the self. And uh, even, as Austin was indicating, even toward that which is uh, one is wanting to rid oneself of. But that's all. Yeah, it actually made me think when I heard you guys discussing about my um, you know, calorie restriction, like hardcore calorie restriction in the past and how it's done out of a sense of shame and, you know, the societal um, self-image sort of thing that uh, it's really a motivation due to an unacceptance of self. So it makes me wonder if that actually can be as powerful as the positive use of fasting, but instead has negative effects. It sort of instead of um, purifies and unifies the psyche kind of instead fragments it mm. yeah. uh, instead. Um, so there's a lot of different angles to fasting. I think uh, one interesting one is that Ra said that fasting can be a way of reprogramming our catalyst. And I actually just let me read the quote and then we can talk about the quote a little bit because it, I think it's really interesting. Um, in discussion of fasting, Don asks, uh, would this be like a conscious reprogramming of catalyst? For instance, for some entities, catalyst is programmed by the higher self to create experiences so that the entity can release itself from unwanted biases. Would this be analogous then to the entity consciously programming this release and using fasting as a method of communication to the self? And Ra responds, this is not only correct, but may be taken further. The self, if conscious to a great extent, 
of the workings of this catalyst and the techniques of programming may through concentration of the will and the faculty of faith alone cause reprogramming without the analogy of the fasting, the diet, or other analogous body complex disciplines. Um, I want to get into exactly what reprogramming means in that context because they don't discuss it in depth, but um, I do think it's important to understand it. Jim, what would you say that reprogramming means in that context? Well, I would I would think that if a person had discovered that there was certain thought patterns that kept repeating themselves, that seemed almost to have their own life, and that you'd like to get rid of them because they were uh, either a, of a negative nature that you would see things uh, negatively, um, or feel a response that would be unwanted or depressed. Uh, in some way, if you wanted to reprogram that type of an experience that you were having mentally, um, then I think I would probably say in the meditative state especially, but you could do it in contemplation as well. If uh, Apparently, the will, if it is strong enough, can do that, that you can say, that I do not want this to be part of me any longer. This is no longer a part of my being. I hereby renounce it. Be gone. I think it's basically like a magical ritual that you're doing. And in magic, you know, the definition is a changing of consciousness at will. So that's really what you're doing here with this uh, using the will to change a negative thought form or pattern. So I, I think you're just using the strength that you have of your will. And again, this not only takes a conscious seeker, but it takes one who has developed its ability to focus its attention so that it may bring its will to bear in a way that uh, the entire mind-body-spirit complex then will respond according to the new desire uh, to shed the old negative pattern and, and let it be gone. Although, as Ross says later on, you realize that it is still a part of your greater self but it is not a part of your mind-body-spirit complex here in this incarnation now. So uh, that's the way I would look at it. Uh, Gary, how about you? Like, do you have anything to add to the concept of reprogramming? Yeah, it's a really uh, interesting thought, good question. And in trying to make my way through it, um, first I think it's helpful, for me at least, to arrive at the starting point of seeing the layers of the mind and in that regard, Ra describes the mind as a tree uh, quite a few times in the material. They indicate that in the uh, trunk and upper portions of the tree, the crown, the branches, and so forth, uh, exists the conscious mind, that which is above the ground. And then symbolically, that which is below the ground, um, connected by the intuition, which we presume is at the lower end of the trunk, that which is below the ground are deeper layers of the mind that um, get larger and more collective the further one moves down into the ground. For instance, uh, you begin with the personal unconscious. Uh, moving uh, further below, you move into the racial mind, then the planetary mind, if indeed those two are different given the planetary circumstances. Then the uh, archetypal mind, which applies to the whole solar system, the whole sub-logos. And then the bottommost layer, the cosmic mind, which includes the mind of the octave, the mind of the universe. Like Ross says, the mind contains uh, all things. 
So my understanding of programming is that uh, most of the mind and most of the programming is below the ground, is below the threshold of conscious awareness, and it's operating there. And we conscious beings, uh, conscious more or less in the space-time environment of the incarnation, are navigating our way through our days, responding to catalyst that is coming from that level. And it's the the programming of those deeper layers of the unconscious that are structuring the catalyst and communicating the catalyst to us in certain pre-configured ways. Uh, those pre-configured ways are often connected to our past incarnations and um, the lessons that we designed ourselves to learn in this incarnation and our karma and any other thing that has happened in the incarnation that got stored down there and caused programming. So one way to describe the path of spiritual evolution is the process of the conscious making the unconscious conscious, becoming conscious of the unconscious. And it seems that Ra indicates that the conscious mind can harness the will, as Jim was describing, and through faith exercise a power that causes uh, a change to the programming in those deeper layers, such that the self then is operating according to a new instruction set, you might say, a new program, a new way of uh, relating and being and acting. And Ra says, indicates that one means of causing that programming uh, is through body discipline like fasting. But the further one advances along the path, um, one can cause that reprogramming without uh, a symbolic discipline or any external action outside of will and faith itself, um, which has elements of concentration and intention and focus in there and the faith that it is all possible and the faith that really, I think, connects to intelligent energy. And then there's a whole host of other questions, too, about um, why one would want to cause reprogramming and what one is reprogramming and then, like, the effects. But that's just my uh, initial thoughts on reprogramming it itself. It's Yeah, it's interesting, the question about why one would do that. And it makes me think that if fasting is done with full consciousness, like Ross says it would need to be, that implies that if you're fully conscious of the desire to reprogram, you become fully conscious of those things that you're wishing to purge through fasting. And that means that you are essentially um, in an accepting place of it. If you aren't fully conscious of what you are doing, then the fasting probably wouldn't work. And then there, that then implies that there is more to discover and more to accept about those aspects that you are attempting to purge. And so... Maybe fasting is sort of like there's a there's a cycle that continues within our space time for some reason, even though you've removed the charge that would, you know, th like the inertia that would keep it moving. And then fasting is a way to um, easily stop that movement. Like it doesn't have any more resistance to the stopping that you're trying to do to it because you have become fully conscious of it and you've accepted it, and it's time to move on, and fasting is kind of a way to expedite the process. You don't have to mm -hmm. wait for the universe to catch up, I guess. Um, let's see. So 
did you have more to say, Gary? Yeah, quick thought before you move on to the next question. Um, and that's that you said expedite the process. And my mind was thinking along the same lines, uh, because one can see the, the long arc of spiritual evolution as a sort of subtraction. Um, you know, distortions are falling away to reveal the true self that's always been there. And Ra says that, um, distortions kind of have an, an inevitability of falling away. The more that we know and accept ourselves, the more that distortions of their own just uh, fall away when they're no longer needed. And it seems like fasting is a way to fast track that process. <laughs> but this connects to um, the word carefully again, because this process of distortions falling away happens as a result of loving and accepting the self. And like you're saying, integrating into conscious awareness um, and synthesizing and unifying the self and that which is not needed will fall away. So to ex exercise that sort of selective discernment where whereby you say, this particular programming or this particular trait I want to consciously help to fall away should really be undertaken very carefully because you're exercising a certain sort of judgment there. And um, if it's not fully conscious, like you were saying, it, it could you it could be uh, uh, fighting the self or adding distortion. But that's it. Yeah, it could also be seen, I guess, maybe instead of expediting as more of a period on the sentence, like, if you've come to that point where you're desirous of fasting to get rid of it, then maybe that is your final stage of becoming conscious and accepting of it. Hmm. Um, and it's sort of uh, just the natural progression of that falling away is you making the decision to fast. Um, we're, we have time to discuss a little bit uh, about what I think is the other interesting part of fasting, and that is the link between the body and the mind and also the spirit but in fasting essentially the way Ra describes it working is you lose body mass um, part of your body falls away and thus then this part of your mind falls away um, Jim you've been in a study of the archetypes which I think might help reveal this link between maybe mind body and spirit um do you have any insights into exactly why or how or just general thoughts about the link between the mind and the body well just a few or one or two <laughs> <laughs> uh before the veil uh the body could be controlled by the mind completely uh the pulsing of the blood in the veins the beating of the heart the breathing of the lungs all of these were under conscious control. But after the veil, hardly any of these are under conscious control. They are uh, part of the parasympathetic nervous system, and they are automatically controlled, it seems, by the body itself, which has led most of us in this culture in which we live, I guess throughout the world, to believe that the body only responds to physical stimuli, uh, to being bumped or cut or fed or starved or whatever. But that, as Ross said, is emphatically not true. The body is most receptive to uh, so many different uh, impulses or thoughts from the mind because the body is actually, according to Ra, the creature of the mind. The mind creates the body so that it can have a way of experiencing this illusion. Without the body, the mind cannot walk around and interact with the illusion. It has no beingness within this illusion. So the body is like a noble steed that carries the mind around and gives the mind a chance to experience catalyst and then to process catalyst and then to use the catalyst to grow in a spiritual sense. 
So if you look at the archetypical mind and body, you see that for the the significator of the body is the hanged man or the martyr. The body gives of itself, sacrifices itself, so that the mind can make a transition in consciousness within this third density illusion and move forward into the fourth density. So the body, everything the body does is a sacrifice for the mind. And the body responds in other ways to the mind in that when the mind has got some problem where it is unable to uh, appropriately or um, completely process catalyst, that that catalyst which has been unprocessed then is given to the body by the, the subconscious mind so that the body will reflect in a symbolic fashion that catalyst the mind has not been able to apprehend in its normal round of activities. And hopefully then it will notice there's something going on with the body that's different and be uh, aware that that is a symbol that represents catalyst that hasn't been used. So the, the, the body and the mind are very closely intertwined and uh, they, they really are um, twins in some respects. That's an excellent response. Gary, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, really good response. Um, I wanted to, I want to uh, share something personal to this question um, instead of exploring it in the abstract and describe, um, well, let me say, uh, very recently I undertook what on the surface seems like a, a, was a body discipline, but had very, uh, potent psycho-spiritual, um, effects. And to share with you that process, um, there is a diet out there called the Whole 30 and a quick, uh, in a nutshell snapshot. It uh, seeks to eliminate all those food groups known to cause inflammation in the body because apparently many of us are walking around with systemic inflammation and that causes or is connected to like a, a million uh, conditions. So the diet removes those groups, food groups known to cause inflammation, and that includes uh, alcohol, sugar, dairy, grains, legumes, and um, a couple others. I forget the list. And uh, thank God for my wife that she made this possible because it's a logistical pain in the ass to uh, get all this food together. So anyways, you do it for 30 days. You get rid of uh, all those things, uh, spend 30 days getting to know um, your body a little bit better. And then when the 30 days is up, you slowly reintegrate these food groups so that you can learn if your body has any uh, inflammatory responses to these groups as you slowly reintegrate them. So it's designed to foster self-knowledge too. But so I undertook this and um, it was far more, the, the benefits were far more than, than physical. On a physical level, I definitely felt and still feel that my body is cleaner. It feel, feels freer of toxin. Um, it feels lighter and stronger. Uh, there were definitely, uh, uh, after a couple of weeks of feeling um, some detox happening and a lot of mental fog and fatigue, the body definitely responded. But it, um, it also caused a corresponding increase in mental clarity. And it provided this high level of fuel for a project I undertook for LL that was like 30 consecutive days of working weekends and, and nights on one of the most mentally intensive undertakings I've ever done. Um, and I was in this space of strength because it overlapped with the 
whole 30 diet or I could do this. And, um, when the, the whole 30 diet ended, I, um, have more or less continued with the basic parameters of the diet. I've reintegrated, um, grains, but I've stayed away from bread, stayed away from dairy, um, and haven't had, haven't touched alcohol in a couple of months. And what I've, it, it became, and from the larger perspective, it became a, a purification of mind and body. And to explain what I mean by that, uh, I'm 38 now. I first kind of awoke to spirituality, 18 years old, discovered the law of one at 20 years old. And that whole span of time, <laughs> I, I have struggled with um, the way I relate to the material world and its offerings, whether that is food or intoxicants. I have used both as means to escape or find stimulation or gratification and to mitigate against this existential pain that I live with. And um, uh, it's not a demonstration of mental clarity right now. <laughs> And I've had this sort of attachment to these aspects of of existence. And from the law of one's perspective, there's no wrong to it. Uh, everything is appropriate at the appropriate time for the entity. Um, but I've had a conflict and a struggle because I felt that these sorts of activities have kind of gotten in the way, so to speak, of my higher desires. Um, of course, they're all part of the grand process, but um, I felt... To me, it felt like I, spiritual work involves a certain consistency. At least the work of the adept involves a certain level of consistency and focus and persistence. Um, as if one is headed to the end zone with the ball. Not that there is ever a finish line, but headed toward a goal and one fumbles the ball. That's how I felt about drinking. But, um, the activities are perennially impossible to let go this diet somehow allowed that stuff to fall away i mean i'm, I'm still march third uh, started at march 1st and it's it's been a little over two months but um sorry i'm rambling i'm gonna wrap up here in a second but it has um somehow and i think this connects to the link between body and mind and spirit, it's opened a way for my spiritual path to really become much more fully realized than has ever been true before. I feel more in my power. I feel more able to um, walk the spiritual path as I know is in my heart of hearts to do. That includes, of course, basic disciplines like meditation, but it in includes a certain quality of focus and a certain presence and mindfulness it's really been one of the greatest gifts of my life to undergo this process and many thanks to trish and yeah i i guess i guess that's it that's really long thanks guys <laughs> no thank you for sharing i think that that is a great example of this general link um that fasting sort of engages you didn't necessarily fast because you were still eating regularly, but it was still the same sort of um, sacrifice that I think 
is present in fasting. And that's part of my final thoughts uh, that Jim touched on, too, was the concept of sacrifice. And I think that in some parts of the New Age community, there's a very... Um, the positive thinking parts of the New Age community, they don't really like to talk about sacrifice. They basically would say, if you believe that you need to sacrifice in order to achieve something, then that will be true. And if you don't believe it, then it won't be true. But I, <laughs> maybe proving their point, I truly do believe <laughs> that um, sacrifice is an uh, integral part of the archetypes, the universe, just our existence. And um, the body is a way to, uh, the primary means of that sacrifice. Like Jim was saying, the significator of the body is the hanged man, which is sort of a, a symbol of sacrifice. Uh, the body essentially gives itself to the mind. And if you can um, engage the body in certain types of sacrifice, such as fasting, or I do think that uh, the sort of willpower it takes to do what Gary did in um, engaging this sort of purified diet, cutting out things that he has a tendency to um, desire but knows are not compatible with his path. I think that is a sacrifice itself. You're sort of uh, stopping the body from going through these habits and these natural emotions that you mentally know are not good, but your body is basically saying, give me that. I want that. And uh, you have to sort of sacrifice the body's desire in order to then engage this greater uh, spiritual path. So I think that is a, a key aspect of fasting and the link between the mind and the body. But um, I don't have a very fine point to put on the end of that thought. So I'll ask you guys if you have any further thoughts before we close out. Nope, I'm out of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Gary? I feel like there's more to say, but maybe it's not coming to me <clears throat> right now. There's So maybe uh, next year, subsequent, <laughs> we'll revisit how this process is going yeah it's a really deep topic i'm sure we'll get back to it at some point uh jim do you have any closing words for our listeners i do have some closing words by golly uh <laughs> it's been a while since we've been with you all we've missed you and i imagine you've missed us too we love you very much please know that and it is such an honor to be able to speak with you and to share our life with you we know that you share the same with us in a way that we're not quite aware of but still we know you're out there and you're cheering us on we love you all very much. Uh, take a little time out to uh, give a smile to somebody, to wave, and send a little love. There's no better gift in this world. You've been listening to LR Research's bi-weekly podcast, um, occasionally bi-weekly podcast, In the Now. If you've enjoyed this show, please visit our websites, llresearch.org and bringforth.org. Thank you so much for listening, for supporting this podcast with your questions, and a special thank you to Lana for sending us the question featured in this episode. If you'd like to hear us ramble on about a particular topic, please read the instructions on our page at www.lrresearch.org podcast. New episodes are generally published to the archive website every other Wednesday afternoon, Eastern Time. Have a wonderful couple of weeks, and we will talk with you soon. <laughs>